That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Prince Harry and Princess Lilibet get papped. The king is under pressure to move house and Charles meets Joe Biden at Windsor Castle. I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's chief royal correspondent, and this is Newsweek's Royal Report. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the show. Now, Prince Harry and Princess Lilibet have been photographed at a 4th of July parade in Montecito. The images ran in the New York Post in America and in the Daily Mail in Britain. And to all intents and purposes, to the untrained eye, it just looks like some very heartwarming family photos of father and daughter enjoying a day out. However, to the trained eye, obviously, these pictures have run in two tabloid newspapers, the New York Post in America, the Daily Mail in Britain, and actually with one quite major difference, which is the mail pixelated Liddy's face and the Post didn't. So this speaks to a major and very interesting difference in media culture and media law in Britain and America, but also it speaks to a real kind of childhood wound for Harry, which is he hates, hates, hates paparazzi photographs of him and particularly his children owing to um, princess diana's experience of being hounded by the paparazzi his own experiences of being hounded by the paparazzi as a child now it's not completely clear from the pictures themselves whether the person who took the photo was themselves a paparazzi photographer or whether it was simply another person at the parade but the pictures are credited to backgrid which is a kind of paparazzi picture distribution company. Freelance photographers send their images to Backgrid and Backgrid distribute them to the media. So it can be anyone and everybody in the paparazzi media. And who's to say that a ordinary member of the public might also want to get in touch with them. But it does also feel as soon as you see the name Backgrid, like there's a healthy chance it's a paparazzi image. So now the first thing to say here is that I understand these were unsolicited images. So what I mean by that is social media people often like to say that Harry and Meghan call the paps themselves because they want publicity. But my information here is that these pictures were taken without Harry and Lilibet's consent. Uh, In fact, as I understand it, they actually asked the post to blur Lilibet's face and got no response. So This is really interesting just in terms of the different way that British and American publications work. Now, in Britain, the Daily Mail did pixelate pixelate Lilibet's face. And I think the reason for that is because they've been burned before. Um, Because Paul Weller was once out with his children and the Mail ran a paparazzi image of the family and didn't pixelate the children's face. Paul Weller sued and won. And I think the Daily Mail even actually appealed and lost on appeal. So clearly they've been bitten before and know very well that under British privacy laws, had they printed these pictures, they could have been sued. But that doesn't apply to the New York Post because the New York Post exists under US media law. Now, the key distinction here is that in Britain, even if you're in a public place, there is still potentially a right to privacy if you are going about your private life. 
So that's kind of a subtle and complicated distinction because obviously, you know, the base position is anything that is in the public domain already is public, not private. And public places are the public domain. But in Britain, under European privacy laws, which were introduced into British law in 1997 as the Human Rights Act, if you are going about your private life, even if you are in public, you still have a right to privacy. Now, in America, that law simply doesn't exist. You, the, Harry and Meghan have successfully sued a paparazzi picture agency in the US before. They sued X-17 for taking drone pictures of Archie while he was playing in the private grounds of Tyler Perry's mansion. But the key thing there is he was in a private place. He was not only on private property, but he was in an area of the house that, you know, without a massive zoom lens, you would not, from a public footpath, have seen anything particularly significant or in fact, since they were using drones, one might imagine that you probably from a public footpath would not have seen anything at all. So they won that case. But if you're out in public in the US, there's really nothing that celebrities can do. And this demonstrates a major problem that Harry now has as the family, as the Sussexes become much bigger US celebrities. Their kind of fame in America becomes entrenched and the appetites for content about them for US outlets becomes bigger. Um, so your two main offenders in America at the moment, as far as Harry and Meghan are concerned, are page six in the New York Post on the um, East Coast. And then on the West Coast, you have TMZ. And both have had kind of, if you like, run-ins with Harry and Meghan in the past. So this is the second time for the Post. The first time was a kind of a set of well, first day at school images with a difference, because obviously the royals would usually, you know, had Harry and Meghan still been working royals when Archie had his first day at nursery or kindergarten, preschool, it would probably have been a photo opportunity where members of the press would have been invited, probably just one photographer to represent the whole of the British press. Um, but in America, that's not the case. Somehow um, a photographer got wind of the fact that or at the very least, you know, anyway, whether by following, whether by getting wind of it, whether by being tipped off about it, whatever the pathway, a photographer was outside Archie's nursery after his first day, and the pictures were published in the New York Post in page six. And that was in 2021, I seem to recall. I think it was just before the Oprah interview. But Harry did, they didn't sue, because they can't in America, but Harry did complain quite bitterly about that incident in a um, segment he did on the Armchair Expert podcast with Dax Shepard. And he said, you know, the page six went and photographed Archie um, on his first day at preschool. And he said, you know, it's the sort of rabid feeding frenzy. And going back to the kid point, kid's point, it's absolutely true. These kids don't get a choice. They don't get a say in it. And so he kind of framed it as though the paparazzi are effectively punishing famous people for being famous when in his mind he kind of suggested that actually they have a talent and are giving something to the world, but then being punished in return. Um, but the other much more recent example was TMZ. So back in May, people will remember, I'm sure, that Harry and Meghan said they were chased by the paparazzi in New York after an awards gala. Um, and then I images from, taken by those paparazzi photographers appeared on British tabloid newspaper websites. 
but those British tabloids took those images down after Harry and Meghan complained. TMZ in America had video footage shot by one of the photographers and they didn't pull it. They left it up even after the complaints and it kind of shows the photographer. The photographer seems to have some kind of like a camera that he's wearing and so he's going around taking pictures but then, you know, he's kind of filming at the same time. So you can see him putting his camera up to the window of the taxi that they're sitting in. You can see Harry kind of trying to film him back on his phone. Um, and it all looks very kind of like emotionally intense and heated. So TMZ didn't pull though that video down. Uh, the Post have uh, not blurred Lilibet's face or pulled the pictures down. And indeed, the pictures they took of Archie being picked up from school back in 2021 were also not removed. So it's kind of a growing problem for Harry. You know, he's kind of built quite a kind of fearsome reputation almost for suing the media in Britain, but there seems to be nothing much that he can do in America. In Britain, he actually forced a paparazzi agency, or him and Meghan together, forced a paparazzi agency, splash news and pictures into Chapter 11 bankruptcy um, after they took a set of pictures of Meghan wearing Archie in a sling while he was a baby. So it was, I think it's sometimes called like a papoose. It's kind of, I would call it a baby sling or a baby carrier, but she was wearing him on her chest as she took the dogs for a walk in a public park in Vancouver. Um, so they were sued, uh, Spanish pictures were sued by the Sussexes in the High Court in London, even though this actually happened in Canada because Splash News had a UK arm at the time and the pictures were circulated and published in Britain. They sued through the High Court in London. Um, and a lot of media organisations at the time actually said that the Sussexes didn't have a leg to stand on. It all happened in a public place and they would lose. But lawyers that I spoke to at the time said actually that wasn't true and that it was going to be a slam dunk for the Sussexes and they would win. The reason being, even though Meghan was in public at the time, she was clearly going about her private life. So I think where Harry and Meghan are with this is, I guess, partly it's a case of realising that however much Harry might hate the British media, and do you know what, perhaps in some cases, he's justified in hating the British media. However, the American media isn't necessarily always that much better. You know, the American media has its problems too. So when you jump from being extraordinarily famous in Britain to being, you know, kind of pretty famous in America, which I think is where they stood in 2020, it's less of an issue. But then as they've done Oprah, as they've done Netflix, as they've done Spare, their fame is obviously increasing. They're becoming viewed as more controversial in America. They are going onto the radar, not only of people who kind of love and talk about the royal family, but also they're becoming a kind of cultural thing more generally, you know, late night comedians are talking about them. Uh, they're on South Park. You know, they're, they're generally capturing a much broader section of American society. And as that happens, they will get more attention from the paparazzi and they will have more of the kinds of experiences with the American media that drove Harry to distraction with the British media while he was a working royal. And so that then begs the question, like, what do they do? Like, what do they literally do about this? If you can't sue, what do you do? Do they try to kind of take on the American media? Do they try to like make big public statements about this and say, you know, the post violated Lilibet's privacy? 
Well, the trouble with doing that is they've, because of everything that's happened with Spare and, you know, all of these kind of arguments that have existed around the Netflix show and other stuff, there's now this big idea that has started in Britain and has really taken hold in America that they're kind of privacy hypocrites, that, you know, Harry kind of can't complain about privacy anymore because Spare went so deep into the private lives of other royal family members. So that kind of leaves them in this position where they don't have the legal tools in America to sue through the courts, but they also don't no longer have the reputational clout on privacy to kind of stage a sort of PR campaign either. So they're between a rock and a hard place. They can't really do either thing, which begs the question, like, did they literally just kind of swallow this, however difficult it must be, and accept that they uh, left Britain in part to get away from media intrusion and are now finding themselves less able to tackle and confront and fight media intrusion in America? You know, you wind the clock back six months, or I guess a little longer than that, maybe eight months, nine months to before the release of the Netflix show, and it would feel inconceivable that Harry would take something like that lying down. But honestly, I just don't see how they can really do anything about this. And so that means if they can't change the world, then Harry will have to try to find some way to change himself. Um, So he will have to find in himself to make peace with the fact that this is part of his life now. And even though he, he feels clearly like he has this debt to Diana to take on the media and fight the battle on her behalf that he couldn't fight as a child. Um, There just literally might not be anything he can do. So, you know, we know from Spare that he hates being photographed. Uh, He hates the sound of the cameras. He hates the look of the flashbulb. You know, he he hates it from a sensory perspective. Um, But he also hates the idea of people making money out of his family and making money out of his children, especially when he feels that the, the same people who, you know, spread hate and sow division and so on. You've got to remember the Post is owned by Rupert Murdoch. So everything that Harry says about the sun and the news of the world, which is now closed, as like Murdoch, you know, hate mills, hate factories. You know, Murdoch also owns the Post. Like the Post is also a writing newspaper. It's effectively America's version of the sun. So all of Harry's criticisms of the Sun and criticisms of Murdoch in Britain can kind of be transposed onto the Post. So, you know, he really, really hates these guys. And he also has this feeling, on top of all of that, that the paparazzi who chased Princess Diana on the night that she died got away with it. Like, they weren't prosecuted, and they should have been, and that they were allowed to effectively escape justice. So how does he within himself make peace with all of those difficult feelings, which kind of are rooted in his entire life and his, like an experience of the media that dates back to the childhood trauma of being sat in the back of a car while flashbulbs go off all around him and his mother, tearful in the front seat, tries to kind of drive him away. Um, how does he let all of that go and accept that his life now may well have to include images taken of him and his children by the paps and to just add one final cherry on the cake of this really incredibly emotionally intense and difficult experience for him is that one of the photographers who photographed harry and megan recently now this is a different set of pictures taken on a different day but they were photographed at an office in santa barbara by a man called carl larson who was the photographer who set up a youtube channel with thomas markle 
um, Megan's father. Um, called, it was called Remarkable Friendship. And obviously the two of them absolutely slagged off. That's a British terminology. But they, they were hugely critical of both Megan and Harry throughout the shows. They don't do it anymore since Thomas Markle's stroke. But no stone was left unturned in their criticisms of Harry and Megan. And so if this is the guy who's going to be going out and taking some, not all maybe, but some of these pictures, I think that will add insult to injury for both Harry and Meghan. And on that note, I'm going to take a quick break. But before we do, a reminder to rate and review The Royal Report on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your favourite shows. And when I'm back, King Charles will move into Buckingham Palace eventually, but not quite yet, or so we're told. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Now, where does a king live? In a palace, you might say. Well, kind of, because Britain's king and queen are not actually currently living in Buckingham Palace. They're still living in Clarence House, which was their home before Queen Elizabeth died. Now, obviously, it's important to note that Clarence House is not a normal, average house. It is, in fact, adjoining St. James's Palace. So, actually, it's pretty regal inside and um, fairly palatial. However, the bigger point is, should Charles move to BP? Now, many people in Britain say that he should because public money has been spent refurbishing the palace. And so if basically effectively taxpayers' money, I mean, it's technically not funding that's derived from income tax, but, you know, effectively taxpayers' money is being spent doing up Buckingham Palace. You know, I'm talking about hundreds of millions in public money. Surely the least that Charles could do is live in the palace. After all, that money's been spent on it. Obviously, his office is at Buckingham Palace. His professional operation is based at Buckingham Palace, but he doesn't seem to actually want to live there. He's not the first royal to have this experience. It is apparently not a very popular royal residence. But needless to say, I'm really actually interested, very interested in what listeners think about this. Have you been to Buckingham Palace as a tourist? Do you think it matters whether the king lives there or not? Because beyond the potential waste of UK public money, the other issue is, you know, is it a bit of a kind of, you know, without being glib, a bit of a buzzkill for tourists to know that the king doesn't actually live there? Like, is it, does it, is it part of the appeal of going to Buckingham Palace as a tourist traveling from America that, you know, this is the official residence of the king? Does it change your view? Would it make you less likely to go visit Buckingham Palace to know that Charles doesn't actually live there? Now, for what it's worth, the palace are briefing that Charles will move to BP, but just not yet. Um, they say that he will move house once the refurbishment work is done, but I'll be really interested to see whether this does actually happen. Uh, because after all, once upon a time, the palace told us that Camilla would not be queen consort, that when Charles became king, she'd be princess consort instead. 
Now, that was at the time of Charles and Camilla's wedding. You know, this is like approaching 20 years ago. So um, fast forward and here she is. She is queen consort. Um, Charles got what he wanted, but out of kind of a sheer unbridled stubbornness which is a part of Charles's character. You know, he is stubborn. He knows what he wants and he pushes for it and he doesn't really give up until he gets it. Um, so if Charles really doesn't want to move Buckingham Palace, move to Buckingham Palace, sorry, how does anyone force him? You know, and I kind of get it because he's he turns 75 in November and moving house at that age is tough. You know, people at 75 are creatures of habit and absolutely fair enough. You know, in the overwhelming majority of cases, you know, you've earned it. You've absolutely earned the right to be a creature of habit and have a routine and not want to change it. And for Charles, it's just part and parcel of this incredibly rare and unique situation that he's in that he's starting the job that he's waited his whole life to do um and he you know he started it just before his 74th birthday and so that means he's kind of you know he's a guy who's simultaneously got a very well established routine that's been completely turned upside down on its head um at the age of 74 so my question is does he have it in him to make this sacrifice for the sake of the reputation of the monarchy or will that famous stubbornness win over in that balance? Um, I guess we can only wait and see, but I would actually be fascinated to know what listeners think. So do get in touch. Um, I am at Jack underscore Royston on Twitter. You'll find all my latest stories for Newsweek there. And I'm going to take one more quick break. And when I'm back, King Charles has met Joe Biden at Windsor Castle. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi everyone and welcome back to the show. Now, the British media and much though not all of the UK public love a presidential visit. This is the kind of thing I guess you're not supposed to say, but America does kind of seem way more glamorous to British people than any of our other allies. It's just the truth. Um, And this idea of the special relationship between Britain and America is hugely important in British politics. It's important in foreign policy. It's kind of important in terms of the country's sense of self and the sense of itself as as a big power on the world stage you know obviously the british empire has fallen many decades ago british power has probably in all honesty if we're being truthful about it been on the decline and uh, britain's kind of cultural proximity to america is a big kind of factor in its relevance on the world stage um, and so that is always the backdrop to any kind of u.s presidential visit and certainly with biden meeting prince charles at windsor castle but it's also been a really kind of difficult period for british american relations recently 
because of a number of issues, including kind of Northern Ireland and Brexit, obviously. Biden was in Britain in April. It seemed like things were a bit tense at the time. You know, Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, was uh, no doubt looking forward to his big photo op on the runway, only for Biden's car, official car, the Beast, to pull in in front and block the photographs of, the, of this kind of big moment. And then the following month in May, Britain had said he'd gone to Northern Ireland to uh, make sure the Brits didn't screw around, was his particular turn of phrase. So, obviously, things have been tense. There's now this issue uh, about cluster bombs, which is obviously America are supplying cluster bombs to Ukraine. Britain is not a fan of cluster bombs and discourages their use. So Rishi Sunak has kind of easily released a statement about it, which probably came as close to explicitly criticising America as it is possible to do without actually explicitly criticising America. So things have been tense. Um but, I mean, it was a very warm and personable interaction, I think, between Charles and Biden. Um, Charles kind of was on the dais uh, in the quadrangle at Windsor Castle. He kind of climbed down and walked over to Biden's car to greet him. Biden got out. They shook hands. Biden kind of put an arm on Charles's, a hand on Charles's arm. You know, he put a, almost kind of put an arm around Charles and touched him on the back. Um, and then the two men kind of both tried to give way to each other as they got back onto the platform um, before an inspection of the troops of the Prince of Wales's company of the Welsh Guards. Um, the US national anthem played and there was a royal salute and it all seemed to pass off very warmly. The one interesting thing is, I guess some might argue that it is kind of almost a breach of royal protocol to like physically be tactile with the king. I actually think handshakes are not a breach of royal protocol. The royal family have a little bit on their website about this, just to give a bit of clarity to people who know they're going to meet the monarch for the first time, which says that you don't actually have to stick to the traditional forms of greeting. And it actually says that some prefer to handshake as they would any person. Um, the traditional form would be for, for a man meeting a king would be to bow. Um, but you know, you could kind of make an argument to say he shouldn't have been tactile beyond the handshake, you know, the touching on the back, the touching on the arm. It's not generally the way people greet the monarch in Britain. But I do also think whether or not you actually care is a very personal thing. And some people will argue that it's totally fine to, you know, technically on paper. Maybe it's not so much a breach of protocol as it is a breach of etiquette. Um, some people, though, do think that it's hugely disrespectful. And I guess that is where this enters the kind of space where people might say, well, look, Biden is on a diplomatic mission here. So whether Charles actually cares or not, the more important thing is not to give off the impression to the wider public that uh, you're being disrespectful to the king. Um, but that said, I would just, you know, temper any kind of hot emotional responses to this, but with the fact that I don't actually think this has caused a big kind of tidal wave of public outrage in Britain. I think that the British public, for the most part, um, take the king's lead on these issues. And if Charles appeared upset and angry about it, I think the British public would be very upset and angry about it. But with the king and Biden seemingly getting on very well, I think it will all very easily be water under the bridge without ruffling too many feathers. 
And that is it for this week's episode of The Royal Report. Please be sure to join me every week when I visit the latest royal headlines, embark on some royal deep dives, and riff on all things royal. Until next time, I'm Jack Royston. Thanks for listening, everyone, and a curtsy to you all. Being a staple in American media for over 90 years, Newsweek now brings you an exceptional lineup of podcasts. The debate. They'll recognize how these policies aren't working. They'll feel the pain and they'll change their behavior. The Josh Hammer Show. Restore the principles and the political paradigms of the American founding. The Crystal Knight Show. Just because officers are black doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist. Fast women. Chevy's actually doing really well and Honda's really not. Wow. It's like the opposite of most people's perception of them. It is. The parting shot. Every year when the new nominations are announced, I get this excited, nostalgic feeling, and it brings out that little kid in me who just loved movies. The Royal Report. Harry and Meghan's head of comms has announced they now move forward to their kind of future outside the royal family. Newsweek Podcasts. New episodes drop weekly. Download or listen now at Newsweek.com or wherever you get your podcasts.